Hey, Travis Rogers here. When you're not listening to me on the Lakers pre- and post-game shows, tune in to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, where she goes beyond the play and focuses on athletes, fans, and the biggest events that inspire and shape our community. Listen to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, Sundays, 5 to 6 a.m. ESPN LA 710. Hey, thank you so much for joining me here on ESPN LA. For more information, please log on to ESPNLA.com and go to the radio page. Check out more podcasts or check me out on Twitter at Lafern Cusack. Well, we have a great story for you today on the line with us. I have Joe Lafferty. He's a organ donor advocate, also a former high school coach and author. And in studio, Tania Wallace, founder of Donate Life Hollywood. Welcome. Hi. Thank you, Laferne. It's an honor to be here with my partner in crime, Tania. Thank you for having us. And Joe, you reached out to me. Uh, you found you found me on you found me on the Twitterverse. <laughs> so I appreciate you reaching out and sharing your story. You really have a very inspiring and amazing story. Well, I started at the age of eight. Age eight, I was a nationally ranked swimmer, and I uh, was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Kept competing through two years of chemotherapy and radiation. Beat the cancer and went into remission. Then at 13, while starting my high school football career, I found out I was an insulin-dependent diabetic. I wouldn't let that slow me down. It killed my dream of joining the military, but not of continuing to play football. I got to play high school and college football on a small level as an insulin-dependent diabetic and then started working in sports for a couple of Division One athletic programs, a bowl game, the Dallas Cowboys. And in my late 20s, I contracted a staph infection. I got a bad scratch on my head and it, it became staph and I lost my left eye. And I moved back from Dallas to Pittsburgh because medically things were about to get bad. I suffered a pulmonary embolism and then organ failure. And thank God that Pittsburgh is one of the epicenters of the world of organ transplant. So I went to the Thomas E. Starzl Clinic. Thomas Starzl is known as the godfather of modern transplants. They found something wrong with my heart. So before I could get on the list, I had have two steel heart valves put in. And that was in July of 2008. I was 34 years old. Right after that surgery, just two days later after that surgery, I was in my hospital bed and I coded or I died and went down. I was down for seven minutes while the team at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, or as we call it in Pittsburgh, UPMC, brought me back. I don't remember anything from the Friday morning of the surgery to the following Thursday when I woke up and questioned my father as to why he was in the recovery room and had to find out it was six days later. And since then, later that year, I got on the transplant list. And 15 months after that, I received a kidney and pancreas transplant from a boy named Justin, who'd been a 16-year-old who'd been in a car accident, sustained a major head injury, and ended up brain dead. And you wrote a book and named it Just In Time. See, I am a spiritual person, and uh, I know I'm not responsible for two souls, but I do believe that the time given to me by Justin is in service to his memory and in service to this organ donation and transplantation community. So I titled it Just In Time, A Memoir of Faith and the Fight for Life. Okay, your story is... Wow. <laughs> I know. He just he just ran through this like, know, like here's all oh, yeah. of the crazy and that's how Joe lives, honestly, is like, yes, all this crazy stuff has happened to me and I am here in service of others. Yes. That's 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 how that's how, how Joe rolls. Right. Joe, you just but you also have a background broadcasting and speaking. So, uh, I mean, is it's it is it more of your strength behind, you know, you, you said you're an athlete and you know how a, a lot of athletes have that type of motivation to pick themselves up and keep going. Is that well, where the strength comes from or what I'm well, the, feeling? Well, yes. What, what, uh, three places, as you, as you asked, three places that I, I, how I find myself here. Number one was my father at the age of eight when I'm nationally ranked in swimming. He said, well, you could just lay around in the couch for two years if you wanted to. And I didn't want to. It was summertime and championships were just a couple of weeks away. And he said, or when you're sick, you can lay down. And when you're not sick, you can be at the pool training and running around with your friends. So it was my dad who said, pretty much, don't give up any ground. You're going to be sick. You're going to have days when you can't accomplish something, but don't give up any ground. 
Secondly, after my cancer, I was hooked up with Leukemia Society of Pittsburgh, and there was a, a man there by the name of George Omaross who had an idea. Instead of putting kids up who had cancer, telling the depressing story with the bad wigs and the, the do-rags covering the bald head, he said, let me find someone who's been through it and is healthy and is thankful. So at age 12, I became a public speaker, a motivational speaker at events. And then obviously, you know, being an athlete and not being the best athlete in the world and always being the small cog on some big football machines that I was part of, I learned that persistence. And uh, that's what kept me up through all of this and kept me positive. And then being outspoken about sharing this story to inspire others to continue to give back. And Tanaya, you too had lymphoma. Is that- I did. I also had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, in 2012. And I think the difference between when Joe had uh, had lymphoma and when I did is that there has been a lot of medical research put into um, into cancer research. And so for me, there wasn't as much of a, um, my treatment was much shorter. I only had six rounds of chemotherapy. I didn't have to have radiation. And there really wasn't a concern from the doctors. They're like, oh, yeah, you have this, but you're going to be fine. And so I think cancer is one of those things where not all cancers are alike. Mm -hmm. And certain cancers have had a lot of research. And I really feel like, you know, Joe went through non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. What he went through set the groundwork and the research and and the, um, the treatments that he was going through set the groundwork. So that when I had it in 2012, it was really a very manageable process, um, which I'm thankful for. And Joe, you coached, you did a a lot of uh, athletic things through your treatment. Did any of that hinder what you were doing? Well, I coached football, uh, high school football at the highest level in Pittsburgh, which is pretty darn high. And uh, we have different coaches for different things. And I couldn't, I didn't have the time to invest to, because of my medical challenges. I didn't have the time to invest to watch all the film necessary to be a contributor to the strategy and the scheme of the game. I understood it. I knew why we were doing it. But the coaches that I coached with would spend six hours a day sometimes watching film and this is in addition to being teachers and being mm-hmm. fathers right i was single so i i was a technique coach I, I i focused on quarterbacks and receivers which are two positions that i played so i was more scheme and when my quarterbacks would come off the field i'd say what did you see where's your head at and i would manage their moods so game day was not so much about x's and o's for me as it was about making sure the guys are doing what they're supposed to be doing technique wise so it was it was manageable. My head coach that I coached for was my head coach in high school. Oh, wow. uh, he's like a, he was like a father to me, so he understood. And having me around, I think he inspired the other kids, especially uh, when I died and came back, because uh, he often used that uh, in, in a positive way to motivate the kids. And I got to tell you, having the kids on my side and them signing cards and coming to the hospital was just absolutely awesome. Yeah. And I mean... I'm in, I'm at a loss for words because I died. You literally died for seven minutes. And then a week later, you're, you know, you're back and you lost those days, but you're here. Well, and, and just for context, if I could, uh, this sounds like a shameless plug, but, <laughs> but the, the picture of me on the cover of the book is on, is on the, on the, on the turf at old Texas stadium. Um, it's 39 days after I died. Mm-hmm. I, I, I spent four weeks in the hospital after I died, and uh, but that's 39 days after I had died, and I had to travel with my team because we had one of these games scheduled as one of those Herb Street tours of high school football, going to different cities and playing great teams, and we went to Dallas to play this team outside of Dallas, and I just wanted to be there with my team. So if it's not the coloring, my face actually looks a little gray because I had spent so many days in the hospital, mm-hmm. but that's the cover on the book. And that's, I picked that cover because I wanted to tell the tale that I kept getting through it. And that football uh, and the, and the young men that I worked with really inspired me as much as I hope I inspired them. Oh, I'm sure of it. Tanaya, how did you two get together? So in t- back in, 2008, there was a series of research articles done by a woman named Dr. Susan Morgan. And what she found is that 
people believe what they see on television when it comes to organ donation. And it's unlike any other cause because people don't have a personal experience. Most people, Joe does, Mm -hmm. I do now, have a personal experience with organ donation, but most people don't. And what she also found was that all of the television shows during that time period, they were perpetuating fears and misconceptions about organ donation. And these fears were stopping people from registering to be organ donors. So I read the research. I said, we have to do something about this. And One Legacy, which is the organ procurement organization in Southern California invested in a project called Donate Life Hollywood. And that was intended to really stop these inaccuracies on television shows. So between 2008 and 2012, we did a lot of work and we were effectively able to stop misconceptions about organ donation on television by 2012. Um, I left the organization and they retired the program because it really had accomplished its goal. Wow. Congratulations. I know, right? But uh, television continues and there is just an onslaught uh, of new content, new shows. And so in early 2018, uh, One Legacy realized that they needed to bring Donate Life Hollywood back. They needed to have someone helping to manage the relationships and assure that what we're seeing on television is accurate when it comes to organ donation. So they asked me to come back and revive Donate Life Hollywood, which I was very excited and happy to do. At that same time, just at that beginning of January 2018, you know, I'm sitting there looking at the road ahead and what we need to accomplish and how we're going to build relationships with the entertainment industry again. And I get a note, an email. Um, hmm, from, sounds familiar. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know, Joe, he comes to us um, just when we need him the most. Yes. And um, Joe had spoken to a woman at UNOS, which is the United Network for Organ Sharing. It's the one thing that every television show gets right, is that they'll say, we called UNOS. <laughs> and you're like, I don't even think, that's not even what UNOS does, but okay, you called UNOS. Well, Joe called UNOS and talked to Ann Paschke, uh, who's the communications director. And then Joe, do you want to pick it up from there? Absolutely. As you both have witnessed, I'm a little bit persistent. And before I met Tanaya, I had all this energy going in all these different directions. I would call my local OPO and say, hey, why don't we do this? And I, uh, when I finally, when I made the contact with Ann, I email her and like, hey, I have this idea and hey, I have that idea. And uh, I, it, I had seen an episode of law. Uh, uh, I had seen an episode uh, on television of a show. And I saw the organ myth just perpetuated in such a way. And I emailed Ann and I said, listen, I want to do something. I want to start my own database of shows and movies that get it wrong just so the entire community can use it. And it was that time that she said, wait a minute, I have someone for you to meet. And she sent me an email and we set up a call. And I said, Tanaya, and she said, no, Tanaya, like Tyra. <laughs> and I said, okay, Tanaya. And then almost every day since, there have been these conversations and, and talks. And I got my, I got a place for my, an outlet for my energy. And I'm a, I have a weird memory. I watch, I don't watch a, tons of television, but I, I watch a good bit in movies. And I'm familiar with lines. And as an author, I've always been a word person and getting the words right. Mm-hmm. So I've, I, and I have a memory kind of like Velcro. If it sticks, it's stuck <laughs> forever. So um, it, 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 I, I, I like entertainment and finding out that Tanaya had this background and had gone through some of the similar things that I had on her path. And then after that, kind of, I brought something else to the table, which is a pure marketing background and definitely the sports background. And we had these grand ideas that over the past almost two years – we've been able to put into put in place and start to get going. And it's been such a great, you know, every Monday morning we, we hook up. It's a little later for me. It's morning for her because I'm on the East coast here, but we hook up and, and we clear our desks of, Hey, what's going where and what do we have to do this week? And what's, what, what's coming? What have we forgotten to do? Let's get on that. So it's been great. And I, I, I we credit Ann at UNOS for getting this whole thing started. Yeah. Yeah. It was a match. It was it was the perfect match at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
Joe, well, so several people like Tanaya, what we were talking about, how we know the same people, we how do. we met like years and years and years ago. In 2012. In, in 2012, yeah. exactly. But before that, at the One Legacy concert in Long Beach that Mike... With Mike Jones. Mike Jones put mm-hmm. together. And Mike Jones was on the organ list. He came on my show several times. One time he did a... Um, he did my show while he was getting dialysis. Uh, dialysis and he was true truly an amazing man and the last interview i did with him he was had had this urgency mm-hmm. joe you were talking about how you are persistent do, it, do you feel that it's because you died and you value life so much so you get things done now or you don't procrastinate do do you think that has something to do with your persistence well i know that our experiences change us in ways that uh, are unique to us and you know i saw this in my donor sister courtney justin's sister um you know going through what i went through at age eight i always was i was given this heavier load than most kids had and i would you, I learned to use that as, 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 as an asset, but it's this heavy load that you know that life's fragile, so time counts for more. And I saw that with my donor sister. She lost her best friend. She lost her brother. And silly things in high school. She had still to go through high school, and uh, Rob Gronkowski made her high school life a little bit easier later after we met, but... Uh, Courtney had to go through this, and I admire her greatly. And I saw in her what I had seen in my own sister and what I'd seen in myself, which is you learn that life is very precious. And then after, you know, I was single uh, until 2012 when I met the love of my life. But that was, you know, I, I it was good that I went through all this sing- single because I could focus on taking care mm, of myself. Yes. But, you know, our... Throughout this, I was repeatedly reminded that life is fragile. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. So let's get done what we can get done today. And um, that's how I attack everything. And that's why probably Anne was happy to get me off her call sheet. And (laughs) the people at my local OPO are going, hey, all right, well, Joe has a focus and he's running in the same direction as us. And um, so I'm, it's it's an honor to be able to do this and to give back. But no, I, I don't want to slow down. I have 50 things in the hopper and 25 of them are only with Tanaya. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pushing everything in every direction I can to help this cause. So around 95 percent of people believe in organ donation. And you guys talk you, you talked about how there is inconsistencies on television and some myths what are those myths? The one myth that we see regularly, and it was on The Resident last season, is the black market for organs. Oh! And when I talk to people, people are... Seriously, they're like, well, of course there's a black market. Because here's the one thing that we have done well in educating the public about organ donation. Almost every American knows that there's a shortage of organs. Right. Right. We all know that. So if there's a shortage of something, there's a black market. That's just how it works in the world, right? If there was a shortage of sugar, there'd be a black market for sugar. That's just, <laughs> that's how it goes. Because people know and believe that wealthy people, rich people can get what they want. Mm-hmm. As long as there's money to be made in a situation, you can get what you want in this world. So why wouldn't it be the same with organs? Um, there are a lot of reasons why it's not the same with organs and that there isn't a black market structure in the United States. You can go other places and buy organs. That's that you can go abroad and you can buy an organ. That's a kidney. 
usually. That's really the only one. And you do that from a living donor, from someone who is alive, who is taking the payment, and then who is donating the organ. Um, but when it's perpetuated and seen on television, there was on the resident this organ broker, and it was this very shady looking guy. And it just creates in the public's understanding of donation, that there's something weird happening in the process, something that they shouldn't trust about the process. Um, some of the other ones, one of the key things that people have a hard time with is if they put the organ donor dot, the pink dot in California, it's a red heart in other places. If they put that indicator on their driver's license, that quote, they won't work as hard to save you. And again, really? yes, it comes up Wait, again. Why, why would that be? It's not. It doesn't. That's not what happens. But there is, you know, you look at 95% of the, the American public thinks organ donation is a great thing. Mm-hmm. There's nobody who's like, oh, no, I totally don't want to save somebody's life. I think that's a horrible idea. Right. People don't think that way. But only 50 to 60 percent of people are registered as donors oh. in the United States okay. who have actually gone to the DMV, checked yes, and is on their driver's license. So what's the disconnect between the two of those things? And there's some sort of fear that, again, because there's a shortage of organs, that if they die, that the person who is in need of the organs will somehow be prioritized over their own care. And really, that comes from a great distrust in the medical system itself, right? That they won't be prioritized and their own personal care to keep them alive. Now, there's a lot of reasons why that isn't true. Three of them is to be an organ donor, you have to have a head trauma. You have to have a ventilator. You have to be in the hospital. And a fourth is you have to have stabilized blood pressure. So there's no way that an ENT can see, oh, they look like they're not going to make it. So we're just not going to help them out. They A person cardiac arrests and then becomes an organ donor. That isn't how it works. And here's the problem is that nobody knows that. And one of the reasons why nobody knows that is because television shows never address what's happening on the donation side of the story. They don't talk about brain death. They don't talk about, you know, what, how, how there's ventilated support. They don't show you that there's an independent, nonprofit organ procurement organization that runs the donation system. A transplant surgeon would never approach a donor family member about organ donation, would never ask consent. The transplant recipient and the donor are not in the beds next to each other, the person treating the transplant recipient has no idea who a potential donor is until they receive a phone call from the independent nonprofit organ procurement organization. Only the organ procurement organization can check the registry to see if someone is registered as a donor. The hospital cannot do that. A transplant center cannot do that. ENTs cannot do that. So this the the process of organ donation is very separated between the donor side and the recipient side for reasons. And television shows don't show you that. Everyone is just kind of puddled together. Mm -hmm. And so the fears and misconceptions that people have really are about the donor side of the process. I do, I want to say one thing. Hollywood is getting the recipient side a little bit better. Now, some of the medical stuff and how quickly they can get an organ and all that kind of things, that's creative license. But people who need an organ transplant, they have a disease that leads to organ failure. They are evaluated to be on the transplant list. They are placed on the transplant list. And then they wait until you know, right? They're matched uh, with a potential organ donor. That does come across on television shows at this point. So my work with Donate Life Hollywood and with writers right now is an effort to really show the donation side of the story. What happens to someone who is a a donor? One of the reasons or the reason why we have a shortage of organs is not because people aren't saying yes. 75% of people who are approached about organ donation say yes to organ donation in the hospital. That's huge. 
But less than 1% of people who die can be organ donors. Mm. What, what's the stat, Joe? One in how many people who die? <clears throat> well, it's, it's, it's three, three of every thousand people that die. Three, three in every thousand people that die, die in a manner which facilitates organ donation. And if you Google how many people die in America, uh, the last number I saw was 7,245. 7,245 people die in America every day by all means possible. Mm. So if you do the math, that's 22 people a day. Out of that 7,245, 22 people a day die in a manner that facilitates organ donation. So that is a much smaller number mm-hmm. than and then people think. Of that, you have to be then medically suitable and then either be registered or your family consent to organ donation. Mm-hmm. So the reason we have a shortage of organs is because there's such a small number of people who can be organ donors because of head traumas and brain death. Um, and that's why we need every single person to say yes. Joe, what was your experience when you received your organ from Justin? Well, I wouldn't know his name right away, but once I, you know, it was it was the day after the Super Bowl in 2012. Two of my former players had just lost uh, when the Patriots lost to the Giants, mm-hmm. and I was a little I was a little bummed out. And I was approaching my second anniversary of my transplant, which coincidentally is that na- it's February 14th or National mm-hmm. Organ Donor Day. Wow. So that, that, that Monday morning after the Super Bowl, I was starting to write another letter. I had written a letter to my donor family. It's all kept anonymous until everyone agrees to meet. So I'd sent a letter the year before, and I was coming up on my second anniversary. I was going to write them another anonymous, loving thank you letter. When I got the call from CORE, or the Center for Organ Recovery and Education, the nonprofit organization as tonight I talked about in Pittsburgh, that my donor family wanted to meet me. So by the time we got everything signed off on and there was some family uh, coordinating to do on their side, we met on the, the Friday before Mother's Day. And I met Scott and Rhonda and Courtney Bussard. And they were the uh, mother and stepfather and sister of Justin. And I learned Justin's story. And it had been a car accident where he sustained a head trauma. And they flew him to one hospital and then to a second hospital and on the helicopter ride in, he started to go out, and they brought they kept him alive by putting some putting something in his heart, and they get they got him to University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Presbyterian Hospital. It's a level one trauma unit in Pittsburgh, and they got him sustained. And that's once they get you sustained, as Tanaya will tell you, they that's when they try to wake you up, and then and only then when they can't wake you up that they do the necessary brain apnea test to determine that you're brain dead. Mm. And I knew it was a 16-year-old boy. I knew it had been a car wreck. I knew it was a head trauma. And that's all I knew. Mm. And it would be two years before I would learn that whole story. And it's a very tough relationship. Um, it's, it's, it's a very unique relationship that you have with your donor family. We were immediate family. But you have to understand that the best day of my life is the worst day of theirs. Mm. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Uh, well, early on, uh, when, when I first met my donor family, I extended my hand to shake the hand of the, uh, just, uh, of Rhonda, Justin's mother, and she shrieked, we're huggers. And oh. <laughs> I'm, half, I'm half Italian, so my <laughs> Italian mother shrieked, so are we. <laughs> and uh, we hugged, and there was a lot of tears and talking. And, um, you know, it was that day that we exchanged phone numbers, and Rhonda said, you know, if you call me or you text me and I don't get back to you right away, it's not your fault. I'm going through something. Mm. And I just said, I, keeping that in mind, some de- sometimes I text and I get a text back in 10 seconds. There have been times when I'd called and it's a couple of days later. Mm-hmm. So, And every holiday is tough. Every holiday is tough, uh, as anyone could tell you that's lost someone close to them. So, But there's not a day that goes by. I would venture, if I could prove this somehow, I don't think there's an hour that goes by when I don't think about Justin. Mm-hmm. And I think about him with, with almost, not every breath, but there, there's hardly an hour that goes by that I don't think about him and the opportunity to live that I was given by him. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll meet him some other time, but I, I just wanted to honor the gift. And that's why I do what I do. Yeah. Can I 
you know, having worked in the field of organ donation since 2002, I have met a lot of transplant recipients and a lot of donor families. And I will say, after I left One Legacy, I went to work for some other very good causes. And there was just nothing like organ donation. Um, it gives me, I'm going to cry, it gives me such hope for humanity that Justin's family, in their worst moment, in their darkest hour, they were able to see beyond themselves and they were able to give life to a complete stranger, a complete stranger mm-hmm. that they didn't know that they would know. Mm-hmm. Um, now Joe and Justin's family have this this beautiful relationship, but it it really is unlike any other cause um, because it brings people together. Joe and I laugh all the time because you know, he's on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. Politically, we have very different views and opinions, um, you know, and yet we are bonded together because we're both committed to raising awareness about organ donation, but really sharing these powerful and inspiring stories of how life is truly transformed by the generosity of families. Um, and I think especially, you know, at the, the season of giving and it's time of, of um, thinking about others, this is the time to really register as an organ donor, to go to registerme.org and sign up and, and give uh, because it, it leaves this incredible legacy and you touch so many people. So I don't know. I'm, I'm always amazed. I'm always inspired by these stories. And Joe's story in particular, really, I, I see in him every day that he lives for himself and he lives for his donor and for his donor's family. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And Joe, have you seen the changes that have taken place in Hollywood? Are they doing anything right now? Well, Tanaya has, uh, just in the past two years, uh, Tanaya has been able to get into conversations with the writers in the writers' rooms on the television dramas and had and definitely has had some impact. We're doing some things in 2020 to unite those 50 million people, or I'm sorry, 150 million people that believe in organ donation. We're doing some things to unite them so we can become one voice of uh, organ donation advocacy. Uh, and they are getting it more and more. And I really like, as I see in the movies, we're, I think we see a lot of uh, retread stories, you know, remakes of things. And I also see more true and inspiring stories being made. And that's good. And I think it's just a matter of time before we see a story, uh, a story that tells the truth completely about organ donation and the process and in, a, in an inspirational way with large stars and, 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 and large stars and a big budget and some really important people. You know, just recently, because I'm from Pittsburgh, there's a lot of movies and TV shows that get made there. And, you know, depending on the movie, there's just a complete high in the area. And, uh, for example, the Mr. Rogers movie that was just made, um, that had the entire city just electrified that the entire world, because Pittsburgh sees Mr. Rogers as a Pittsburgh thing. And he, he was from right outside Pittsburgh mm. and he, he, you know, recorded his show there. So when you, you get that inspirational message of Mr. Rogers, who I got to meet as a child, by the way, when you oh, get that inspirational me... message out there, it, it, now everyone, if you haven't heard of Mr. Rogers, now you have, because Tom Hanks played him and, and these great screenwriters, uh, Noah Harpster. And I can't remember the other gentleman's name. This writing team wrote this amazing screenplay ab- about this man and the way he impacted the world. And, you know, I think once you get a great story, a great movie like that, to tell the complete truth about organ donation and you get big stars to play these people I think that can be that that can be a game changer and that's what Tanaya and I are trying to do. Yeah. I think Joe's really pushed me to to look beyond just 
talking to the shows and saying, hey, you did this wrong, you need to do this right. And we've really been able to think about storytelling, creating our own storytelling, mm-hmm. becoming content creators, because that's the era that we're in, right? In 2008 to 2012, we sort of had to rely on uh, Hollywood to tell the stories. And now everybody can be an, a content creator. So really switching what we're doing with Donate Life Hollywood, not just um, overseeing Hollywood or providing expert consultation when writers need it, but looking at opportunities to generate our own content and develop out our own content. So that's a, that's a real switch for Donate Life Hollywood. And again, you know, it's stories like Joe's, these real life stories that are so inspirational. And I will just a shout out to ESPN because um, ESPN has done several E60 real life stories of people in the sports world who have been personally touched by donation that have been transformational. Um, there was one ray of hope that Donate Life Hollywood gave an Inspire Award to when it came out uh, because it was just so impactful, so beautiful. And um, and so there's been several stories of that on the donation side of the story. So again, the television shows don't really show the donation side, but ESPN's E60 pieces have done such a beautiful job telling those stories. Yes, absolutely. It's really inspirational. Um this is ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack speaking with Joe Lafferty and Tania Wallace, founder of Donate Life Hollywood. All right. And how can we find out more information? Follow Donate Life Hollywood on Twitter, which is at DL underscore Hollywood. And then on the, we have a website, onelegacy.org backslash DLH. And that has some of the information, some of the research about organ donation and the impact on television shows, as well as some of our success stories, some of the ways that we've been wor- able to work with the entertainment industry proactively impact storylines. Uh, we had a very successful relationship with a television show called Three Rivers, where we were able to do consultations on that show. And it led to a 6% increase in the public willingness to register as a donor in a single year, which really shows the power of Hollywood, the power of good stories um, to transform the way people think about a cause and especially about organ donation. Right, right. And Joe, uh, talk about that. How how have you seen things change that advances uh, your advocacy? Well, I think that you know, the social social media or social as Tanai is teaching me to call it has done such a great job about getting the stories out there. Those fifty eight nonprofits that cover the United States uh, that are federally regulated, the nonprofits they get great information out and great stories. You know, within days of a young lady standing up at the Pittsburgh Penguins game with a sign that said, my daddy needs a kidney and his blood type is O negative, I might be getting the blood type wrong. You know, I follow all the organ, the organ procurement organizations or OPOs on social media. But, you know, I knew that happened in Pittsburgh. So it happened on the core. And within within days and maybe even a week later, they're highlighting that story because it's so inspirational uh, that this young lady would make this ask. And I think that it's great that we're all connected and people bag on social media sometimes, but you know, good causes can use social media. And I hope we're doing it. We're good stewards of that to get the information out there and get the people interconnected. And you really use the positive side of the, of, of, of the interconnected world wide web internet world to talk to people and, and meet. And just like I met you and get together and talk about these great causes on great shows like this. And social media has been a really big tool for Donate Life Hollywood. Their last season, I tweeted at the good doctor a, uh, a beautiful clip about an honor walk. So this is after a family has consented to organ donation. Then if the family wants to do this, we bring the family and the donor on who's on the ventilator on the gurney down the hallway from their room to uh, the surgical suite. And the entire staff, whoever's available in the hospital, lines the halls and says thank you. 
Wow. It's really powerful. And we there are several real-life stories, like Joe said, that the organ procurement organizations are tweeting out. And so I tweeted that at the writers of The Good Doctor. And later that season, we saw the most powerful <laughs> honor walk story on The Good Doctor. So I think that's the, the connection, too, between telling these real-life stories and then using those as inspiration and fodder for the entertainment industry. Um, and that's one of the, the goals and roles of Donate Life Hollywood is to help the entertainment industry see there's so many powerful stories that we don't need to use the myths and misconceptions that scare people. We can use these as a way to really give hope for their viewers and inspire their viewers. And that is what organ donation is about, is it leaves you feeling just good about people and about society and about the way that we can care and give to each other. Yeah. Are there any future uh, projects that are coming up that you guys can talk about? Oh, my God. We are so busy. Um, <laughs> but, well, that's great. Yes, yes, yes. It is great. Uh, Joe actually has this incre- had this incredible idea uh, of how we can – one of the – so one of the challenges with organ donation is activating the entire donation community when a storyline is either positive or negative. Um, it's really great when I can work with writers and say, hey, if you do this storyline right, I can activate X number of millions of people to watch and be active on social and um, talk about your episode and support what you're doing. It's also really impactful that if there's a negative organ donation storyline, that we have our donation community really out there and talking. I think that's one of the problems is that, you know, for other causes, writers and and Hollywood know you would never write a storyline about someone getting HIV from a toilet seat. I mean, one, it's inaccurate. Two, it's a public health issue. And three, the AIDS community would be up in arms. We aren't really mobilized that way as a national community. Um, and so having that national mobilization is really key. So I don't want to give too much away because we're, we're launching it. Uh, but we are going to have a technology solution that is just going to help to activate the whole donation and transplant community and advocates for organ donation to respond immediately to positive and negative storylines, which will help us in our partnership with with the entertainment industry. And the other thing is that we are going to develop a website, which is not innovative, but uh, it is going to be a tool so that it will be specifically for the entertainment industry, providing them some of these real life stories, showing them how the donation process works, providing access to experts, uh, surgeons all around the country so that can provide ex- free expert consultation. So the writer's portal will really be a stop for the entertainment industry to get to know us and the services that we can provide. One of the services I've been doing is uh, casting. So there's been uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition and some other shows that want these inspiring stories. And so Donate Life Hollywood serves as that opportunity to find those real life stories that can be part of television shows. So casting opportunities as well. So those are the two key things that we're going to be launching in 2020. And Joe, can you talk more about uh, your work and your company as well? It's our company. Uh, it's called Crowd Advocacy. And with Tanaya's uh, vision, Tanaya's connections and vision and, and, and the way Hollywood works and uh, some of the people in my life, uh, we have combined. And, you know, one other thing that we are coming out with, uh, it's, it's not a novel idea. We, I stole it from someone. I just tweaked it a little bit. Uh, there's a great YouTuber called the Legal Eagle, and he has I don't know how more more su- subscribers than we we do right now. Uh, but what he does is he watches television shows and movies, and he's a lawyer, and he breaks down the truth about different things that happen on television in a courtroom. And one of his best episodes is My Cousin Vinny, which you would think that if you watch the My Cousin Vinny, okay, is any of this really about the law? But lawyers love that show, and he conveys that in a very positive and funny way. And when they get something wrong, he explains why it's wrong. Well, we're, we've done the same thing, and we've already got some shows planned out. It's called Truth Transplant. And we're going to go through shows that have gotten it wrong in the past, 
And nothing malicious. We're just going to point out what they could have said or could have done in those situations and then continue to use those to educate people. So that's one of the original, uh, some of the original content that we're going to be creating. And we're also starting to pitch some ideas to, to, to networks about different types of, different types of shows that, uh, that really promote the organ donation uh, and the transplant community and all the, and all the impact that Tanaya has been talking about. So have you guys found a lot of pushback from the writers that are saying, this is creative, this is my... No. No. And I will say in the first iteration of Donate Life Hollywood, where we were seeing a lot of of poorly written organ donation storylines, there was one on, um, I think it was on Law and Order, and it was it was just horrible. And I contacted the writer and she said, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that by perpetuating this fear and this misconception, I could stop people from registering as organ donors. Um, I remember working with Grey's Anatomy and in the first years of Grey's Anatomy, they just did so many poorly done organ donation storylines. And by the end, towards the end, we were giving them awards because they were doing a great <laughs> job. Um, and I would write letters and say, here's what you did wrong. Here's what you did right. And they would take those and then help to incorporate them. Um, and then providing those expert consultations, we did an expert consultation for the series finale of E where George Clooney's character approaches Susan Sarandon's character about organ donation. And we did an expert consult because they said, how do you convince people to register or to say yes to donation? We said, we we don't. We don't convince people to do that. But one of the things that we do do is ask loved ones, tell me about your loved one. Tell me about this person who could be the potential donor. And when they talk about their loved one, were they generous? Were they kind? Were they giving? It it helps families realize that organ donation is really in line with who their loved one is and was. Um, and so that's what that scene looks like. And so I find that writers, I just had dinner with one of the writers on New Amsterdam, and we talked about a lot of different things. Um, but she, her mother is a liver, was a liver recipient, and she wrote a really great organ donation storyline on New Amsterdam. And so that's built an ongoing relationship where I'm able to send her information and ideas, story ideas. Some of them might get included and some might not, but it builds a relationship. Um, I think everyone, every writer who comes in contact with Donate Life Hollywood is actually just really thankful that mm-hmm. we're around. That's great. Yeah. Uh, when you mentioned Grey's Anatomy, when we first started this conversation, um, I'm a visual person and all I see is that organ in the case. The on cooler? The, yes, in the cooler. Red cooler, red glue cooler. Where the helicopter is bringing it on Grey's Anatomy. But also, uh, there was an episode of The Blacklist where you were talking about how it's two separate organizations and they never meet. Well, there's the woman who made a who was on the board for organ donation. She somehow was manipulated to move someone. Did you see that story? I don't think I did. Oh, OK. See it. I'm going to have to look back at that. <laughs> but right. It's always people doing shady stuff. That was there, that was that was the, that wasn't the blacklist. It was an or there was an organ transplant thing on the blacklist. There was a gentleman doing black market. He was a surgeon doing black market uh, uh, transplants, and then he was leasing them, and then he'd repo them. But no, what you're what you're talking about uh, with the woman who was manipulated in changing the transplant list that happened on House of Cards. House of oh. Oh. Maybe, but there was also one at the beginning <laughs> of when Joe and I first started our relationship was around that one episode. That was, um, oh, that right. was Law and Order. House of Car, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yes. Yeah, they're Car. always doing, they're doing shady stuff. There's going to be a movie that comes out called The God Committee and it's with Kelsey Grammer and Julia Stiles. And there's going to be some shady stuff that happens in that movie that is not great about organ donations. So I'm, you know, working with the writer because I think there's also 
Opportunities to still utilize these storylines to raise awareness about organ donation. Joe, do you remember if after the end of uh, the blacklist, at the end, it there was a donate life? If you choose to, you no, know? The, I, the, I don't believe there was one. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that show. I wasn't going to mention it, but I'm a huge fan of that show. And like yeah. I told you, Velcro. Um, oh, right. It's, that, so that, a lot of that sticks. And uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, uh, New Amsterdam because of Ryan Eagle's work on the blacklist prior. And so, no, I don't remember any of that. I, and someone in our community would have said that. Um, you know, there's just so many great stories that are real and, you know, trying to get them into in front of the writers um, to get to get that to get them right. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, that 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 was House of Cards, and it was to get the president. <laughs> yes, oh my! Uh, higher, he needed a liver. Yeah. Oh my! And, goodness. and yeah, so uh, yeah, that that was another. That's that that'll be. That's enough. That's the second episode of Truth Transplant. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's the, good. You know what? Maybe we need to do both the, second, the blacklist and the House of Cards ones. That's a good idea. Yeah, I think the Truth Transplant too, where we can just kind of break down. Here's what is. Right about this storyline, and here's where they got it wrong. Um, yeah, but the Chambers, did you see Chambers? That was out on Netflix. That was last season, and that was about a heart recipient who basically the heart gives her kind of demonic characteristics, which is this sort of fear and misconception that, you know, somehow the, uh, the organ is going to give you the characteristics of your donor. Um, so there's just, you know, that's the thing is that I think the the real problem is that organ donation gets categorized into this space of horror or fear right there's something wrong going on here uh the manipulation of the system the kind of undercurrent and that is not what every single day the people working in the organ procurement world working at the transplant centers the people personally touched by donation the donor family members the transplant recipients that's not the world we live in the world we live in is a process that is highly regulated um where all efforts are being made to really be as fair as humanly possible because there is a shortage of organs. And that's the thing is that the conflict is around the shortage all the time. And one of the things I was talking about with this writer from New Amsterdam, Shireen, is she said on the writer's portal, you need to have a whole page of what the real conflict is then because these lovely stories are lovely. But at the end of the day, writers need to write about conflict. Mm -hmm. So tell us what the real conflict is. And I think that's been a challenge for the organ donation community because we want all the happy, happy stories out there. Oh, isn't this lovely? It all worked out. And writers are like, yeah, that's great, but that's not Mm -hmm. how we write. So we need to sort of open our lives, like open our real work to people and say, here are the conflicts that we do face on a regular basis and, um, and how those can play out. So not just the inspiring stories, but understanding what the true conflicts are in the donation community. For example, if, um, someone is registered as a donor, but the family doesn't want that person to donate. Mm. That's a conflict. That's a real life conflict mm-hmm. that we face, that we work through, that we that we div- that we work with the families through that process. And because organ procurement organizations are good at what we do, we are usually able to resolve that conflict such that the family is in support of donation by the end uh, of the process. But that would be a real life conflict. And that's and that 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 has come to that 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 decision has fallen to some very special people uh, in in the sports world. For example, one of our assets and one of our uh, one one of the one of the one of the key parts of the foundation of Donate Life Hollywood going forward is a NASCAR driver named Joey Gase. And uh, shout out to Joey and his wife. He just had twins a couple days ago. But Joey Gase, uh, at the age of four, was given a go kart by his father. And he was raised by his single mother. And just a couple months past his 18th birthday, uh, he stopped home to check out how mom was doing because he'd been out all day. And she was lying on the floor and her breathing was labored. And they got her to the hospital. And a couple of days later, it was an aneurysm. 
and you know, 18 months and a couple, 18 year old and a couple months Joey, even though his mother was an organ donor, still had to sign the papers as her next of kin to facilitate her being an organ donor. Hmm. And he drives around the NASCAR tracks and is a huge advocate of organ donation. And he tries to fold that event into every city he goes to. When he comes to the Auto Club Speedway in February, uh, out in Los Angeles, they're going to uh, they're going to have a Hands of Hope event where he takes his car out to a location to be determined, and people put their hands in paint and then put it on the car and sign it in honor of someone who's on the waiting list or someone who's been a donor or someone who is a recipient. So these 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 threads come through us at all angles and at all parts of our life, but. The point being, just because it's on a driver's license and we do this in public education, you also need to make your intentions known to your family. Mm -hmm. So when you're approached by that person from the OPO, your family knows. And my own donor, Justin, was 16, but he didn't have a driver's license yet. Mm. But his family, in the depths of grief, wanted Justin to live on. Right. And it's it, they were able to transplant everything except his heart, and he helped many people that day, and his parents uh, m- made a great decision to help others. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of fear about organ donation. And, you know, because even though our national slogan is donate life, that's the call to action, donate life. That's the national public education mantra. At the end of the day, organ donation does deal with death. And in our culture, in our society, conversations about death are not fluid and they're unique to have. Mm -hmm. They can be difficult to have. And I think what people are fearful of is how is their treatment going to be impacted by being an organ donor? And I will say treatment is even elevated. It's better when you are a potential donor because, again, you can't be a donor unless you have had the very best care in the hospital, unless you have had all of the things that can be done to try to save your life. If one of those steps was missed, then you would not be eligible to be a donor because your your organs wouldn't be viable and uh, and life couldn't be passed on. So there's a lot of fear about what happens um, to the body itself, Mm -hmm. right? The respect that we that we have for the donor and for uh, for how we treat the body and all of those things. Those are things that we know in our world how respectful this process is, but that is part of the public's fear about donation. And I've always said, you know, there's about 50% of people who have registered as donors. So there's 50% who haven't. I think there's about 10% who are always going to be haters on social. They're just always going to, they're going <laughs> to perpetuate the fears. They're going to say, no, I know that this is true. The black market is real. You can't trust people. You know, th- those are just folks that are going to be out there. But I think there's a larger group of people that think organ donation is a good thing and they just have a couple questions about it. Um, and I do believe that the power of storytelling and that the entertainment industry being our partner in this can really help to transform those people who are sort of on the fence. So 95% of people think organ donation is great. 50% are registered. We need to get the folks who are, who think organ donation is a good thing, but there's something holding them back from actually signing up to be donors. That's really our challenge. That's our goal. And again, I think Hollywood is the partner to have in this. And I'm I'm just, I'm so excited Donate Life Hollywood is back to help the entertainment industry. Because here's one thing I've learned about Hollywood. They want to help. Hollywood wants to help. Hollywood wants to do good. I have never met a writer, a producer, a network executive who's like, no, I just don't care about society. <laughs> right? right? You know, they don't. And when you can provide someone in the entertainment industry, the opportunity to tell a great story that could potentially save lives. They're mm-hmm. like, yes, let's do that. Uh, what What about a just-in-time movie? Oh, yeah, it's happening. <laughs> I'm going to say that before Joe can even get... Yes, totally. Absolutely. Oh, wait, I, I, never, I hadn't thought about that. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's in the works. That's one of the things that Joe and I really want to work on and develop because it has all the elements. It has. It's just a great story and it, it, it has that emotional catharsis as well as, you know, for me, kind of the education in both sides of the story because Joe has met his donor family as well. 
well. And just, Laferne, thank you for bringing that up. I have gotten copies of my book to one of the key people that I want to involve in, in, in this, if it ever comes to that, and if I ever have the opportunity to have any say over who would be involved. And um, because he's a Hollywood guy, but he's from Pittsburgh, and we have, we have common friends. Uh, he's, o- he's older than I am, but we have common friends. And uh, some of those common friends got copy, a couple copies of my book to Billy Gardell. Oh. And uh, Billy's a Pittsburgh guy, and uh, he could, as I as I see the movie, I've, I've w- been working on a screenplay and registered it with the Writers Guild and everything. Although I'm sure it's very elementary and not Sorkin esque at all, but I I see I see a, I see a part for Billy in the story, and he's someone that I would love to talk to because he has that spirit of Pittsburgh. And we've seen the spirit of Pittsburgh in so many places. And this Mr. Rogers movie is the most recent. There's a spirit of Pittsburgh. And um, I think it speaks to everyone in that it's hardworking. It's persistent. It may be a little cynical, but it's inherently good. Mm -hmm. And I think there I think there's a great through line to maybe to maybe to a Hollywood story. And I'd be honored to uh, honor Justin and the transplant community and I, I hope I hope it comes to that. Yeah. All right, Billy Gardell, get on the line. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Laferne. See, we have an advocate in our court, Joe. <laughs> wow. So, okay. Well, well, one last thing. One uh-huh. last thing, Laferne. One thing that we always knock around our staff meetings at Crowd Advocacy is that Hollywood saves lives. And um, we know that they're there. And like Tanaya said, they want to be they want to do it right in this age of Google. When you see something on television, you can just ask your phone, Hey, is it true that, and your phone answers you, you know, they want to get things right. So it's just a matter of making sure we're getting the right information to them so that Hollywood can save lives. Mm -hmm. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Before we go, I just want to say congratulations to you for, you just received an award for Ava's, Heart. I did. And you know Ava. Yes. I know. See, we know all the best people (laughs) together. Um, Ava's amazing, right? She's, uh, she is a heart recipient. Truly. I mean, you've met recipients. Mm -hmm. Like these people are incredible. And they really do. I, I would say a lot of people who have had health challenges feel that sense of urgency in life and that renewed spirit and passion. Transplant recipients in particular, because they're not just living for themselves, they're living for their donors. And it's a very unique experience. And Ava has that. She wanted to start a foundation. I helped her. Uh, I worked for, for One Legacy at that time. And we sat down, we had a brainstorming meeting of how her foundation could really make the greatest impact. What was it that other organizations weren't able to do that she could fulfill a niche? And so she developed Ava's Heart to support donor families in helping them to um, with cremation services and then helping transplant recipients with costs associated with traveling to the transplant centers. So at her last gala, she uh, she gave me her Ava's Heart Award, and it was great because she Ava always says that I'm her mentor mm. and that I have been an inspiration for her and right back at her, right? She's been a huge inspiration for me. So right. it was really nice because we're relaunching Donate Life Hollywood. So getting that award really was a representation to me that the donation and transplant community needs this project back. They're excited to have it back. And and it was it was lovely that she was able to um, to honor me because I honor her oh, all the time. Well, congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was a great night. It was a great night. <laughs> Joe, tell us how we can get just in time a memoir of faith and the fight for life. It's on Amazon, and if you go to my website, the Real Bionic Man, uh, you can click through there and read a little bit more about me and uh, hopefully the spirit of Pittsburgh and the spirit of the organ donation and transplant community that I represent and that I serve. And uh, a shout-out to Justin's family and a shout-out to uh, all the people at CORE and UPMC, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, and all that they do. And also, I've been added to a board at Our Legacy, which is the OPO here in Central Florida, which I happen to be here now. And um, 
all the great people doing the work, and uh, I hope tonight. Oh, I know tonight are going to come alongside them, and uh, and 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 facilitate more and more good work of the organ donation community. Oh, that's fantastic! And Joe, if you can leave our listeners with a little key of why we should either donate or how to carry on through that process. So when I spoke to Justin's mother, she remembers one thing from the wake, and. I'm going to get choked up. She remembers one thing from the wake. Justin was young, so the wake invited children from his high school to speak. And Justin, in the past couple, the last couple of years of his life, he had gone to live with his father and found that the grass wasn't greener. And he came back to his mother and his stepfather and his sister, Courtney, and he was happy. But in that time that he left his high school and then came back to it, he ran into this girl, and when he came back, he said, hey, where's your best friend from birth? I would always see you two together. I don't see you two together now. And the girl said, you know, Justin, right not long after you left the school, she and I had a fight, and we haven't spoken. And Justin said, you know what? You're going to be best friends again by the end of this week. Mm. And it was those two, those two girls that got up at the wake and told that story of how Justin reconnected them. Mm. And when you hear a story like that, and that story is not unique, that story in different ways is told by every single recipient that has come to know their donor. And even the ones who haven't come to know their donor, they love them like any member of their family because they saved their lives. Mm -hmm. And that's what you need to keep in mind when you're registering to be an organ donor or if by some awful happenstance, the decision comes to you to share the life of your loved one with someone else. That you can carry on. They say you die two deaths, and it's the time that you die, and then the time that people on earth stop talking about you. Well, Justin died on February 14th, 2010, but here we are nine years later, and we're still talking about him. Yeah. And we're going to talk, I'll talk about him for the rest of my life. And my lovely spouse, Jennifer, will talk about him. And my stepson, Cameron, knows who Justin is. And his family's talking about him. So he hasn't died that other death. And there's a book out there, and that can live in perpetuity. And people can know about Justin. And people can know about the other donors who have saved lives. That's beautiful. What about you, Tania? I don't know. I, I'm I'm crying over here. You know, it's like I I realize too every almost every day I cry, um, doing the work of organ donation, and it's because I am so touched mm-hmm. by the individuals who work in this field, mm-hmm. um, the medical professionals, the surgeons, the transplant recipients, the donor families, the candidates who are waiting and don't know if they'll receive a second chance or not. Um, organ donation is this incredible, it's, it's, you know, we joke, it's, it's a club no one wants to be a part of because you don't want to really be a donor or a recipient. But once you are part of the Donate Life community and once you're part of this world, and that includes people who have checked yes and registered and made that commitment that they will one day, they're willing to save someone else's life. Being part of this world is, um, it's really profound and powerful. So check yes at the DMV. Go to registerme.org. Uh, at registerme.org, you can, whatever state you're in, you just register there and then it'll go into your state registry. Oh, well, fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you, Joe Lafferty and Tania Wallace. I really appreciate you sharing your story, your passion, and your life. It's uh, truly amazing, and I'm thankful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Laferne. I'm Laferne Cusack. This is ESPN LA 710. This is ESPN LA 710.